And keep Psalm 22 open as we come to study this morning verses 12 to 21 of the psalm. Verses 12 to 21. We thought on Friday evening about the forsaken king. And this morning we think about the suffering king. The suffering king. One of the many leaps forward in digital technology has been uh, the recent use of virtual reality. And no longer do you just sit on your sofa and look at a, a two-dimensional screen. Now you can put on a headset and it will feel like you're actually in the game that you're playing or the film that you're watching. It's another attempt to have us experience things uh, through the eyes of someone else or to feel like we can go to places or see things that we would never otherwise get to do. Well, the Gospels of the New Testament allow us to look up at the cross of Jesus Christ, as it were. They give us the facts of what happened. They give us uh, 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 the perspective of someone right there at the foot of the cross. But Psalm 22 gives us a different perspective. As we read this psalm, we're not looking up at the cross. We're seeing things from the perspective of the one who was on the cross. A thousand years before Jesus was even born and 500 years before crucifixion was even invented. King David, moved by the Holy Spirit, wrote down in incredible detail here the experience of Jesus as he died. And in Psalm 22 we see up close the impact that the experience of crucifixion and all that went with it had on Jesus' soul. We see how he responded in those agonizing hours that he spent hanging literally between heaven and earth. I want to think first of all today about what Christ saw from the cross. What Christ saw from the cross. Look what he says in verses 12 to 13. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Look also at verse 16. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. Look what he prays in verse 20. We'll think more about this later, but he says in verse 20, Deliver my life, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Bulls, lions, dogs, wild oxen. Samus says here that from the cross Jesus saw fierce, vicious, spiteful enemies. Bashan was a very fertile plain south of Judah. A good place to rear pedigree bulls. But of course bulls can be very fearsome creatures. If they're not kept under control they can even be deadly creatures. Dogs here are not the sort of dogs that some of you have in your homes. Nice, fluffy, friendly little things. These are wild dogs. These are, these are vicious, bloodthirsty wolves. Dogs that really only come out into the open when they're looking for their dinner. And lions, of course, are some of the deadliest beasts on earth. When they see their prey, they, they silently crouch down and get themselves ready and then when they, when, they, when they pounce, they roar. And by the time they, the prey hears the roar, it's really already too late. Who are these bulls and dogs and lions that Jesus sees from the cross? 
We mentioned it in passing on Friday evening and the Gospels tell us who these people are. This is the crowd at the foot of Jesus' cross mocking him. Crowd made up of ordinary Jewish people, some of whom had followed Christ for at least some of his ministry. They had shown some interest in what he was doing. They were perhaps particularly fascinated by his miracles. But eventually they had fallen away from him. And then as well, there were the Jewish religious leaders Men who should have known better if they had really humbled themselves before the scriptures and listened to what Jesus was saying. But they were too jealous, too territorial, too self-righteous to follow Christ. And then as well there were the Roman soldiers. Hardened men who had seen so many crucifixions by now that the gore and the shock of it all just didn't even faze them at all. And Jesus Through the writer David here, he says that at his cross, his enemies acted more like animals than people. They were bloodthirsty. They were excited in a morbid sort of way. They they wanted to destroy him. They stood there waiting with glee for him to finally die. One writer says the crowd here is depicted as bestial and yet it is all too human. People acting like animals. And yet, friends, they were people. They were human beings, just like we, were, we are. This is the kind of hate and, and spiritual blindness that human beings are capable of. Verse 18 says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. John 19, verse 24, specifically refers back to This first, this is what the soldiers would do when someone was executed. They would decide who got the victim's possessions. And usually they waited until the victim had died. But sometimes crucifixion could be a very long, drawn-out process. And it seems in this case, uh, we're told in in the Gospels that the soldiers didn't even wait until Jesus was dead. They were already in full view of Jesus as he was hanging on the cross. They were already deciding who would get what. And so from his cross, friends, Jesus sees the the hatred. He sees the bloodthirstiness of his enemies. He sees the the blindness, the the indifference of some of them. And as well as that, he hears the mockery and the laughter. But behind all of these enemies that Jesus could see, there was also that one unseen enemy who was really the enemy that was pulling all the strings Jesus says in verse 21 in Psalm 22, save me from the mouth of the lion, the lion. It's interesting that in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, Peter describes Satan as a roaring lion, prowling around looking for prey. We always need to remember, friends, that as Jesus hung on the cross in in his dying moments, he he was being attacked spiritually by the evil one. Satan couldn't touch him, but through the crowd, Satan was taunting Christ and he was trying to get Jesus, even at the last moment, to fail to do the work that the Father had sent him to do. At some point, Satan realized that if Jesus goes through with this, that if he dies, the righteous one dying for unrighteous sinners, well, that means catastrophe for Satan. That's the defeat of Satan. That's the security and salvation of sinners. 
And the devil knew what Jesus would achieve then by dying on the cross. You remember what Jesus said to Peter when Peter tried to talk him out of going to Jerusalem, knowing that he would be crucified. In Mark 8 verse 33, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Satan tried different approaches. He tried to tempt Jesus in different ways leading up to the cross and on the cross. But ultimately, he didn't want Jesus to obey his father. And he tempted Jesus right at the last moment to come down, to stop it all. Not to go through with what he had been sent to do. But Jesus didn't give in to the devil's temptations. From his cross he saw the hatred of his enemies. He saw the viciousness of Satan. But he did not give in. As Jesus looks out on our little gathering here today friends. He sees only two types of people. Those who are with him. And those who are against him. Now he's not suffering today. His suffering is finished. He is reigning today, of course. He's seated in heaven. He is free from suffering, but he sees us. As he looked down from the cross that day, he looks down from heaven this moment. He sees you. He sees your heart. He sees what you really think of him. He sees how you have responded to what happened on Calvary's cross. What does he see in you today? Does he see the love of an ally? A servant who is thankful that he withstood the temptations of his enemy? Does he see someone who is likewise willing to face the hatred of neighbours and family or colleagues because of their love for Christ being so much stronger than their love for the praise of men? Does he see someone truly appreciative for his sacrifice? Or does he see an enemy? Maybe not someone who openly mocks him or shows obvious hatred toward him as the people at the foot of the cross did. But someone who simply doesn't care about what happened at the cross. Indifferent, a bit like maybe some of those Roman soldiers were. Jesus doesn't need or want your sympathy today. He doesn't need you to feel bad for him for what happened at the cross. But if you're not with him, you're against him. You're an enemy of the king. But perhaps for many here today, as Jesus looks at you, he sees one who, rather than mocking him for what he's done at the cross, is thankful for what he did at the cross. Maybe he sees the one, one here today, maybe he sees many here today rather, who out of thankfulness and out of joy and out of gladness for Christ and what he has done, you've come here to worship him. And to come to his table and to commune with him and to remind yourself again of the preciousness of what he did by taking bread and taking wine. Your way of communing with him and giving thanks for him and participating with him as Paul said in his body and blood. Are you an enemy or are you an ally? Are you with Jesus or are you against Jesus? What does he see as he looks down at us today? What Christ saw on the cross. Secondly, what Christ felt on the cross. What Christ felt or experienced on the cross. 
And it's worth repeating what I said on Friday night, that Psalm 22, if we can put it this way, it's, it's holy ground. All of Scripture, of course, is holy and true and powerful. Uh, but Psalm 22 is, is perhaps as close as we can ever come to seeing the very heart of Jesus at the moment of his death. There are many wonderful Christian songs and hymns in the world, but no man-made hymn can claim to be what Psalm 22 is, the, the divinely inspired thoughts and words of Jesus Christ himself. And I've spoken to you before about some of the details of what physical crucifixion actually involved. I'm going to mention some of them again now, not for dramatic effect, not for emotionalism, but because I want you to see how clearly Psalm 22 accurately describes the crucifixion of Jesus. Bearing in mind that Psalm 22 was written 500 years before crucifixion was even invented. And so it's worth remembering that as we look particularly here at the details of Psalm 22 verses 14 to 16, it's worth knowing and understanding exactly what crucifixion was. The Persians invented crucifixion, but the Romans perfected it, you might say, by either tightly tying or sometimes, as was the case with Jesus, nailing the victim to the cross. And the victim's nerve endings in the hands and feet were exposed and attacked. And as well as that, the victim then began to suffocate and they would have to keep on trying to pull themselves up on the cross to get their breath. And this could last for even hours. Some reports suggest historically there were those who lasted days. Crucifixion caused your whole body to go through shock. The muscles would try to fight against the process desperately. But crucifixion was designed to sap all your strength until your muscles gave up. Your body would be completely dehydrated and begin to dry up. Ribs could crack. Shoulders could be dislocated. The, the victim's body could contort at very strange angles as they fought for air. Sometimes the Romans would break the legs of victims to speed things up. The whole process could induce a heart attack, but most crucifixion victims died of asphyxiation. They ran out of oxygen because their body was too exhausted pulling up for air. Now with those gruesome details in mind, just look at Psalm 22 verse 14. I am poured out like water. The moisture, the, the, the water leaving the body. All my, <coughs> excuse me, all my bones are out of joint. My body is contorted and straining. My heart is like wax. It can't keep going. You watch a, a wax candle just getting weaker and weaker. Verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. What did Jesus say in John nineteen twenty-eight? I thirst. His mouth was dry. His whole body was becoming dehydrated. Verse 16. The last lines say, they have pierced my hands and feet. King David never experienced anything like this. King David, in fact, as far as we know from scripture, never fell into the hands of his enemies. He was undefeated on the battlefield. He went through sufferings and trials of various kinds. But he is describing here the experiences of someone else. His son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Charles Spurgeon in his commentary, at the end of verse 16, he simply wrote these words. Pause, dear reader, and view the wounds of thy Redeemer. And yet remarkably, this wasn't the worst of it for Jesus. The worst of it was what we considered on Friday night, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was God's doing. Isaiah 53, verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. The father forsook the son, sent him into the the darkness of his judgment and wrath. And the son willingly went. But as the pain and strain of it all took hold, friends, the son endured the agony of being separated from his father. And that was the worst pain of the cross. That separation, that forsakenness was the hell that Jesus went through on the cross. Entirely deprived of the loving presence and affirmation and joy and fellowship of his father. All of this so that we could be saved. So that we could be adopted, justified, sanctified, forgiven, headed for heaven instead of headed for hell. Jesus went through the naked shame of the cross so that we could be covered in robes of righteousness. He endured separation from the Father so that you and I could be reconciled with the Father. Jesus 2 Corinthians 5.21 became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. What can we say in response to that except to praise and thank the Lord Jesus Christ? He saw gloating enemies at Calvary. May he see only thankful worshippers in Dremore. And this is why, friends, we, have, we can have such... Comfort and consolation in the times of our own suffering. May we never forget whatever it is that we may be suffering, be it emotional, physical, spiritual. May we never forget that Jesus really does understand. When you are bereaved, when you are lonely, when you are discouraged, when you are mocked. When, when your enemies are taunting you, when, when Satan is firing fiery dart after fiery dart of temptation at you, remember, Jesus is with you. Jesus has gone through the same and worse. Hebrews 2.18, because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Look at all that he endured at Calvary. Don't doubt that he can sympathize with you. When you go through your dark valleys as well. And whether we are suffering today or not. May we be thankful. May we be humble. May we respond with obedience and worship. For the one who died. Endured all of this in our place. For our sin. What Christ saw at the cross. What Christ endured at the cross. And and thirdly and finally. What Christ prayed on the cross. What Christ prayed On the cross. Verses 19 to 21 bring the first half of Psalm 22 to an end. And we'll see tonight that the psalm feels very different from verse 22 onwards. Verses 1 to 18 are a lament, cry of anguish from the psalmist. 
But verses 19 to 21 form a bridge, if you like, a, a turning point in the psalm uh, as, as the suffering servant looks ahead to the victory that his suffering will lead to. If you look at verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Notice, friends, that despite all the, the hardship that the psalmist has gone through here, despite all the pain and suffering of Christ on the cross, he still has faith in God. He prays anyway. He keeps on believing anyway, even in the midst of this torturous suffering. See, there are times when what we know, when what we know about God has to overcome how we feel. Jesus felt forsaken. He was forsaken on the cross, but he still knew that the Father was a good Father. He still had faith in the plan that the Father, Son, and Spirit had agreed upon from all eternity that sinners would be saved through his sacrifice. And so in verse 19, Jesus describes God as my help, or some of your translations will have my strength. He says, Come quickly. To help me. You'd think after all that he's gone through. He would just give up in despair. And and stop calling out. and, And where is his God anyway? But he continues to entrust himself. To him who judges justly. To his father in heaven. Where are we to turn when God seems to be distant friends? Who do we cry out to. When it seems that God hasn't been listening. We keep on crying out to God. We keep on turning to God. Despite what we feel, we cling on to what we know. That God is a good father who loves his children, who always hears the cries of his people. On the cross, Jesus is our example of faith by what he prayed. A faith not based on feelings, but on truth. Jesus knew the truth of his situation that by the one man and his death, the many would be made righteous. He had said uh, several, several, sometime before his death, he said in John 10, verses 17 to 18, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. See how he emphasizes there the plan of his father. His obedience to the father. His faith in the father. That having laid down his life. He would be able to take it up again. Notice the end of verse 21. He's asked again for God to protect him from the lions, the dogs, the enemies around him. But look at the last line. Of verse 21. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. You have rescued me. As he hangs on the cross that rescue hasn't happened yet. But Jesus is certain that it will happen. And again we know from the gospels that these things came to pass. With his dying breath Jesus said it is finished. Father into your hands I commit my spirit. He died knowing that his work was finished. He died believing that his father's plan had been completed. He died believing that his sacrifice would be enough. And that his father would welcome him back into paradise. 
The word for rescued there in verse 21, some of your Bibles might provide the footnote uh, that the word could also be translated answered. One writer says, all the agonizing outpourings of verses 1 to 21 have reached the Father's throne. The work is done. It is finished. See, faith wins the victory. The faith of Jesus conquered Calvary. The faith of Jesus in the face of his beastly enemies. It won him the victory. And Jesus' victory was our victory. Just as David conquering Goliath uh, meant that all of Israel conquered all of the Philistines, so we get to share in the victory of Jesus Christ. And we show that today in our coming to the Lord's table. He is our example in everything, our example in how to suffer, our example in faith, our example in prayer. His faith makes our faith possible. His suffering makes our suffering meaningful and purposeful. A time may come, perhaps you've already faced it or are facing it today, when you feel that you're surrounded by bulls of Bashan, by lions roaring at you, or by the hiss of the serpent, Satan. Remember in those times the faith and the prayer of Christ on the cross. Even when God is distant, Declare your faith in you, O Lord. O Lord, be not far off. Come quickly to my help. Deliver my soul from the sword. And be assured, friends, that Christ has done everything for you to be heard and for you to be answered by your Father. Jesus saw enemies at his cross. He felt terrible pain and suffering at his cross. But he prayed in faith on his cross, believing that he would be answered and that he along with his people would be rescued. Thanks be to God for such a great salvation, for such a great saviour. Amen.